with you. We're in Philippians chapter 4, our last sermon in this series. There's a usually a huge gap between what we might say we lean on for stability and what we actually do lean on for stability and abundance in our lives can skew our vision just as much as lack can. On Friday, up in the Highlands, gas was unleaded gas, 87. It was 3.57 a gallon. For some, that's already too much, right? They, they won't be able to afford what they need for gas. If it gets much higher, um, it will start to negatively affect most everybody, even if you're relatively affluent. It gets to be around $4 or over $4. It's like California prices all the time. I spoke a week or two ago about the fragile state of the U.S. dollar globally, just for a moment. What, who knows, really, what is on the horizon as our president continues to mumble and scream his way through the political landscape. What is coming, right, just from a financial standpoint, financially tough times in particular, like a recession or, or, or maybe even a depression, uh, put people under intense pressure. And that's in addition to all the other pressures that we feel besides that. Accumulating pressure, one piece of bad news after another, can almost physically take our breath away, can it? And as the visible things that we lean on start to crumble, we're forced to face the truth that the things from which we try to get satisfaction and security and stability are actually extremely fragile being shocked into that realization or reminded harshly of that realization can be very difficult. And such times and circumstances pose two unique temptations to us as Christians, and that's to feel discontent or to feel anxiety. Anxiety asks if we'll have enough to make it, to have what we need. Discontentment asks, will I have enough to make me happy? Will I be able to get everything that I want that I really wish I had? And so discontent and anxiety, again, when I talk about anxiety in biblical terms, I'm talking about the, the tendency we all have to worry and feel anxious. We're not talking about um, you know, folks that may struggle with some serious mental illness issues as it relates to anxiety. So this is talking about, again, that normal tendency we all have to, um, to worry, to feel anxious and Nervous, discontent, and anxiety keep a tight grip on us. They really do. And so, in, the, in in light of that, what does the word say? In the midst of all this and all its ebbs and flows, what has God promised to us? That's the issue. There's no true refuge in times of mounting pressures, other than the promise of God to strengthen us and to provide for us. So let me pray, and we'll begin here. Father, we thank You for Your Word tonight. How every page of it speaks to us and for us in Christ. Father, would You enable me to preach tonight clearly and in a helpful way, an understandable way. Lord, please keep me from inserting myself into the interpretation of this passage. Lord, I pray that You would help all who will hear Help us to understand and believe. Oh God, help us to have faith 
where we can't really grasp what you're saying or, or maybe won't can't understand how you're fulfilling your work. Father, help us, we pray. Give us grace and mercy in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 10 through 23 of Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes in closing here, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, about six years before Paul wrote to the Philippians... He'd actually written to the much wealthier believers at the church in Corinth about the extreme poverty and the severe test of affliction that the believers in Philippi and other Macedonian cities were enduring. Paul, that's who Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. The Christians in Philippi were struggling financially. They didn't have a lot. And probably you all know what this can be like and how it can affect your faith. The Philippian believers were experiencing Economic scarcity, like you and I may, 20 centuries ago. And yet one of the reasons Paul loves the Philippian church so much is that their ongoing financial struggles didn't keep them from giving generously to help needy believers in faraway places like Judea. We find out in 2 Corinthians 8, 1-5 through 5, that they had actually, even though they were suffering financially, they had begged Paul to let them give and to let them help. True Christian giving isn't exacted like a tithe under the Old Covenant, but is the overflow of a joyful heart, which is much better. Well, now it's six or seven years later, and these believers in Philippi still refused to let financial pressures in the empire harden their hearts and make them miserly. We know from Acts chapter 28, verse 30, that they had sent their trusted messenger Epaphroditus to Paul with a sizable donation toward his daily living expenses while he was in Roman custody. Prison back then is not like prison today where everything is provided for you, even if you want a college education. Back then, you usually had to have a patron of some kind, whether it was family or friends or whomever, that would bring you or provide for you to have your daily needs met. The prisons didn't really do that. So one of the reasons Paul wrote this letter in the first place was, of course, to thank them for their friendship to express his gratitude for their gift and the affection that caused them to give it. That's the occasion, really, of these last verses here at the close of this 
letter. And it, it could seem for a minute when you read it like Paul is um, not very grateful of what they gave or is disingenuous about his gratitude because he thanks them for the gift. But then he's basically saying he doesn't really need it. Now, why is he doing that? There are two reasons he shifts to talk about his contentment. And it isn't because he's unthankful or fake. It's neither one of those things. First of all, he wants to make sure his dear friends in Philippi don't have any regret about the fact that it took a while for their gift to get to Paul, from their initial desire to give it to when he actually got it. They're in prison. They were concerned for him because they didn't have the opportunity in verse 10 to help as quickly as they wanted to. And so this had been on their minds, and he wants them to know he was okay. God was providing for him. So he hasn't been doubting their love for him. There's been no need he's had that made him feel that way. And then secondly, even though more importantly, and where we'll focus tonight, as their pastor and spiritual father, he wants to use his own situation and his response to it, as he's done throughout the letter, as a case study for them in a Christ-centered response to discontent and anxiety. So let me read verses 10 through 12 just one more time here. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is the secret that he says he's learned to facing hunger and having plenty, to to having abundance or being in need? And that's in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What Paul finds hope in, whether he has a lot or not enough, is the strengthening work of Christ. That is the secret to facing lack and abundance well. How, how does Paul know how to be brought low? Right? How does he know how to deal with it and keep his faith and not lapse into despair and despondency when he's been brought low, like being chained up to a Roman guard 24-7? Things like this. How does he also know how to abound? Because we normally will fall off the cliff on either side of that. Either we're the type of Christian who does well when things are going well and doesn't when things are going poorly. Or we're the opposite of that. That we can hold the line when we're doing poorly and know to depend on God, but then when everything's going well, we kind of forget about Him and don't believe that when it's like that, He's still providing for us. Right? It's, it's sometimes in times of abundance, we start thinking that we're the source of our strength. We're why everything is happening the way it is. But Paul's experienced the strengthening work of Christ in both, in any and every circumstance. So that's the context of Philippians 4.13. That's the context. It is not a talisman of some kind for the things that we set out to do and accomplish, and because of this verse, we can do them. Right? The example I use all the time, because you see it so much in, um, you know, there, there's t-shirts about it, and that it's like if, if you re- if you want to go and lift weights and you want to lift something really heavy, you say, well, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or if you want, you know, a job or all these things, you just, you just, it's like what this verse was for is to just be this like little talisman that no, God said I could do it. If, if you don't have the muscles, you, you can't pull the weight. I mean, you, you could be a miracle, but normally 
That's not where Jesus is doing miracles. Oh, you want to bench 735? Well, hop on there. You can do all things through Him who strengthens you. If, if that were the, the, the verse, sometimes I think people think it reads, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Right? There's a context here to a statement like that. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. What is Paul actually saying here? Paul is saying that he has learned to endure in faith during adversity and to keep from pursuing the selfish desires of his heart in times of comfort or abundance. He can do both. He can do all things. He can experience both without losing his faith because Christ gives him strength. Don't He is strengthened through Christ for both. We need to be strengthened by Christ in both abundance and need. We need Him the same in both circumstances, both states of life. So don't think that you don't need to be relying on Christ in times of abundance as much as you do in times of need. There's never a time when we don't need to get our strength for the road from Christ. There's never a time where we aren't in need of this from Him. This verse tells us that it's Jesus who strengthens us to not become discontented in lack or in abundance. Jesus is the source of that because we can become discontent in both. In both. Both the poor and the rich can love money and put their hope in gaining more of it and what it can get for them. We need Jesus strengthening us when we don't have enough and when we want more, right? We need to lean back into Christ. The way we navigate and hold fast when we are afraid of lack and when we're tempted to get more is to look away from ourselves and on to Christ. We must trust Him. We must trust Him. We must believe that His strength is the means by which our faith remains fixed on the Father and we really genuinely believe that God is all we need. It's the strength of Christ that produces that. You and I in our wills and our flesh, we don't have the ability to think clearly in abundance and need. But through Christ, we can. And only through Christ can a human being do that. And this isn't just something Paul knew the secret to. And so he's just telling them, well, this is how I get by. Look where he goes with this. By the time we get to verse 19, after he's talked more about how faithful God has been, to meet his needs. Look, look in 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The promise is absolute. Right? It needs no qualifications. There are no exceptions to Philippians 4.19. And so we have two options when it comes to that text, just like we do with every other text. We can read it and say, okay, So either God will supply every need we have, like he says, meaning we don't need to be controlled or despaired by our anxiety. Either that's true or the only other option is that God is a liar. Right? Either 419 is the truth or God is lying to us. Which do you think is true? Even if you can't see how God does Philippians 419, Do you really think the option could be that he's a liar and he doesn't keep his promises? And so 
when Paul talks about being strengthened in Christ, it's, it's for our faith. Right? It's, it's strengthening our faith so that we believe His Word. That's the key to remaining content and not falling off into worry and doubt when there's abundance and when there's need. And again, discontent can come in abundance as easily as it can in need. That's how we get into problems with debt. We have to have something. We, we, we think that we need it when in reality we just want it. And so when we can't have these things, now it's abundance. It's a desire for more, not a lack of something that we need that's making us doubt God's love for us and His favor and His power. Think about what this text is saying to us, just as it spoke to the Philippians. First of all, this verse means that right now we will have all that we need. Period. We have all that we need. If you don't have something right now, whatever it is, I want you to think about this in light of the verse. If you don't have something right now that you think you need, we must come to the realization that we must not actually need it or God would be providing it. Right? That's, that's, I think that's difficult for all of us because we can convince ourselves that we actually need things to live that that we just we just don't, you know. You 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 see that openly demonstrated by children, right? Because they're little and and for some reason a kid decides that they need things or they'll die when you're in a store in line at the cash register and there's a hundred people around you and they decide that if they don't get that candy bar or that toy they're going to make you pay, right? And they're going to scream and cry and throw a fit. And other parents are going to say, my kids will never do that. When Yes, they would. They're just not doing it today, right? So, the, but as you grow, as, as we grow, we, it's not that we fundamentally change. It's that we change in our desire of what we're willing to let other people know about us. Right? You, there are a lot of adults that throw fits. But you're not as inclined to throw a fit. Not because you don't want something as bad that you want to kick and scream when you don't get it. But because you don't want other people to think that you're like that, right? So we learn to hide things. We learn to lie to ourselves and just we will have all that we need. God never promises to provide for all our wants. Learning to distinguish between the two in our own hearts is crucial to the stability of our faith. Let's think this through. You don't need a spouse. If you have one, it's wonderful. I'm certainly glad I do. Please don't misunderstand me. But do you need one? No. Do you need a new car? Probably not. You might. I remember I, I worked at the Limited uh, 2008 to 2011 or 12, and my boss was, was great, but he was very practical, and I wanted to trade in my car uh, for a new one. And this is a very wealthy man who drove an older giant Ford Expedition. We called it the school bus. It was old and a jalopy. And this is a six-figure, well, you know, close to seven-figure salary, and he just didn't spend money. And uh, I told him I wanted to trade in my car, and he's like, why are you going to do that? I'm like, well, this one doesn't really run right. He's like, Antonio, that's, they didn't, never call me Tony. It was always Antonio. He said, he said, don't, he's like, that's a lie. <laughs> he's like, you don't need a new car. You want a new car. Don't go into debt again for, and of course I bought it. Of course I didn't, right? Traded in the car because I had to have a new one. But just try to think about 
what you actually need beyond food, water, shelter, and clothing. Now, again, it's very hard to say, you've you got to be kidding me. Like, like if you're saying that if I had enough food to eat each day and enough water to drink and something covering my head and something to cover my body, that I should be content? Beloved, yes. Uh, actually, I'm not telling you that because I don't live all the time like I believe that. Jesus is telling his church that through his servant Paul. Right? So, these things are not the issue. It's, it's everything outside of this that we, we really believe, we come to believe that we need things because we want them. You know, you don't need a spouse. You, you, you don't, probably don't need a new car, although you certainly may need one. But that's, that's saying a lot, right? You, you don't have to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You don't, uh, have to have a super big house. Uh, you know, all, all these, all these types of things. We, we don't need to, um, think even on a, you know, even a more kind of everyday practical, you don't need to have your food order perfect. You just want it to be. Right? You just want it to be. If, if you're, you, we all know the, if you've been to a McDonald's ever in your life, they've messed up your order. Haven't they? It's every McDonald's on the planet. And bless their hearts, they're, most of them are just kids, but like, you know that feeling when you get home because it never happens till you get home that you realize they got everybody else's cheeseburger except mine, right? So you know what you can do in America? You can you can drive back and get it. And look, I, that stinks. Like that's inconvenient. But if 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 we could learn to lean so fully on Christ that those kinds of things don't change the direction of our day. And, and, then, and what, happen, we, what we don't realize is happening when we get angry over things that we want but don't need is that's piling up. And as it piles up, we become bitter, bitter people, just mad and cynical all the time. And, and Paul would say, listen, you need Christ to be strengthening your faith so that your eyes are on him, your hope is in him, because he has promised to never let you lack what you need. And so part of what God is going to do in us every single day is whittle away at our dependence on the world. Because it's, it's killing us. It makes us bitter and resentful and rude and angry and uncharitable and unloving. And notice what else it means. God will supply all our needs. God will. That's a matter of perspective. Everything we have that we need is being and has been provided to us by God and no one else. Everything that we do have that we need, God has provided. it, And he usually provides for us for our needs by providing us with jobs and honest means of income. Right? That's, that's normally the means God will choose. But God will also be unbelievably gracious and charitable when we're in need sometimes and we're we're not going to have what we need. He can provide certainly by amazing ways, but most of the time God is going to keep us working. God's going to keep providing through the means of our vocations whatever they may be. There's there's not a it, it's very interesting. It almost feels like it's it's contradictory. Right? That Jesus says don't worry about your body what you'll wear, don't worry about food what you'll eat. Why does he say that? 
because he knows he's going to provide them. Right? But, but does anybody read that text and say, oh, okay, so I don't have to work. And God will just magically drop food into my lap every day. No, we, we intuitively know that normally the means by which he's going to do that is provide for us the means of getting it. But we need to understand and recognize that's the work of God in us. God provided us with that job. Right? And if we, if we don't have one or literally aren't able to work or can't work anymore or something like that, he's still going to be providing for our needs. And a lot of times he'll do that through his church for his people. Right? We, nobody in our church would want another person in our church to go hungry. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, this, this church, I've, I've, been, I've been here five years in June. I know enough to know that if somebody in our church knew that somebody was literally going hungry, they're going to help. Like if the, if the kids have nothing to wear, they would help. If, if you needed a car, they would help. I've seen it happen and you've seen it happen. And just realize when, when you're doing that for someone that God is meeting their needs through you and he would do that for you also. Right? He, he loves you. This is what he does. No parent here would let their child go hungry, especially when you can afford food. Right? And I know there are situations where we may not be able to. I totally understand that. I'm saying that even there, we are strengthened through Christ. God can work without means of income if they're taken away from us. Which means that technically, we will have what we need even when we can't contribute anything to acquiring it. What God provides us with is the fulfillment of a promise. We have all that we need right now. Beloved, God is not a liar. And I know I'm 99.9% sure nobody in here thinks that God is a liar. But let us not act like that's what we think when we don't know what we're going to do. Just don't forget His passage. Don't forget His Word. God is not unaware of what we need either. What we have is what He has given. And the treasury in all this from which God... So how can God meet every need of every single one of His children all the time? The treasury from which God draws all that we need is His riches in glory in Christ Jesus, which are not going to run out. He isn't going to quit being able to keep His promise to you. Nor is God's keeping of this promise dependent on you and I, on our earning it. It's in Christ Jesus. That's where God is pulling the capital from. Christ Jesus, not you and I. This promise is ours by the power and merit of Christ alone. If Jesus has died and was risen, you and I have no need for anxiety. Right? No need for that day-to-day -day anxiety that we live with about what if this happens, what if that happens, what if this happens, what if that happens. We, we, we don't have to do that. This promise is ours by the power and merit of Christ alone. God's wealth is so far beyond our comprehension. But our infinitely rich God's greatest treasure has already been given to us in Christ Jesus. He is the most costly and most valuable investment God ever made in humanity. And it is finished. God has done that. What would He now withhold from us in Romans 8.32? So, here's something difficult to think about because our minds don't usually go all the way out here. 
but in Christ, even if there was not food and water and we died, has he taken his hands off of us? Has he stopped giving us what we need or has he decided that now what you need is to be with Christ more than you need to live? He cannot fail you and he will not fail you. He will not fail you because he will always be providing Christ for you from the riches of his glory. When you look at the final words of this letter in verses 21 to 23, then the way it closes here, we're reminded in another way of the fact that God is going to keep the promises he makes, even in the midst of amazing adversity. There's a little little phrase here. There, there are now saints in Caesar's household, his own family. And do you know who Caesar was? The Caesar was when Philippians was written? It was Nero, the most wicked, demonic, brutal, disgusting tyrant to ever rule Rome. And that's saying something. Because Caligula's out there and These were some psychotic men for the most part. Turns out he's not in charge. Turns out he's not stronger than the gospel. It's in his own house and there's nothing he can do about it. Right? He he could burn as many Christians as he wanted to on the Appian Way, which he did. And he can't stop the gospel from getting into his own house. Where was God for those believers that were burning on the crosses on the way to the Appian Way? He was with them in the fire. He was with them in the fire and the fire stopped and they were in glory. Their souls with their risen King. They're okay. And they're crying out from beneath the altar in heaven as we speak. How long? How long? And God will bring recompense on the earth. He's not going to fail you even if you die. Especially when you die. All your needs will be met and we need someone to rescue our soul from our body when we die and he will do it. So what can stop his power for you? His name will be great among the nations, he said in Malachi 4. And it turns out that's true in Philippians 4. Even Caesar's household. Rome being one of the nations where God's name will be glorified. Where they were trying the hardest to snuff it out. Nobody can stop what he promises you. Nobody. Let that be what strengthens you. Right? We need Christ in us, testifying to us by his spirit that he tells the truth and he keeps his word. That is strength for the believer. There is often discontent in our hearts, right? Not everything we want is bad. I don't mean to imply that. We, we just need to be able to distinguish sometimes because it affects our, care, our, our picture of God that wants and needs are not the same thing. A want existing doesn't make it good. It doesn't obligate God to meet it. So you can't say, you didn't give that thing to me that I really wanted. You may not think I need it, but I need it. Do you think you know better than God what you need? That's that. The opposite of these conclusions are strength. Living in them is weakness that will hurt us. 
There's anxiety about our lives. How can there not be, God? I mean, well, God isn't telling you that there aren't threatening, difficult, terrible things to deal with in the world. What He's telling us is a much beautiful, much more beautiful and clearer word. You don't have to let it get to you. You, you don't. So there's discontent, there's anxiety, and there's God's unfailing promise. Where will we decide to put, what basket are we going to put all our eggs in? And speaking of God's unfailing promise, that's really the at the heart of Joshua, which we'll start digging into next Sunday night, God willing. But these are the realities. But only one of those is unchanging. God's promise. God's promise. Let me share with you very quickly, or I'm, I'm at the end, just a personal story in hopes of making the point. Okay, And I, I think I shared this a couple years ago on a Wednesday night, maybe when we were early in the Psalms. So I um, still struggle to this day with depression, very much. When we were in California, the church in Brawley, it was at a fever pitch. It was horrendous. I, I didn't, I was so despondent and so, uh, it was affecting me, yes, but it was affecting my family. I was affecting my, um, you know, my ability to pastor. I mean, I mean, it was it was dark. It was dark. And I prayed. I had been praying for probably a decade by that time that God would take away my depression. Father, it's such a liability to my family. It's such a liability to pastoral ministry. Why won't you take it away? I would be so much better for everyone else, including my wife and kids, most of all, if you would take this away. Why won't you take this away? It's a burden. I hate it. I don't. There is a depression that you cannot explain. And when people say just snap out of it, if you would, if you could, you would. So listen, the mind was affected by the fall also. This, this isn't off the charts. Depression, yes, we're not talking about a rainy Monday. Right? We're not talking about sometimes you just feel bummed out. Or, you know, unmotivated. No, this is something else entirely. And I, I mean, I prayed and prayed and prayed. And, and one day, studying, I forget what I was studying for because I never preached through Philippians before. I came to Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to, the riches, to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's when it hit me. If God isn't taking it away, then I must not need it to be taken away. I wanted it to be taken away. But maybe God keeps that on me, over me, however you want to say it, because I couldn't pastor without it, actually, the way that He desires me to. And I'm not telling you that I'm fulfilling everything God desires me to do as a pastor. I don't think that. That's not what I mean. But what if, if, because what am I supposed to believe? Asking, 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 like the persistent widow. So he isn't getting tired of me. But I have my answer. I'm not going to take it away. At least not today. Not then. But maybe I don't need it taken away. I just want it taken away. That, that was a watershed moment for me because just personally in my own life because how you navigate that is, is very difficult. 
You know, and, and we all have stuff. I'm not, it's not like only I suffer. We all have stuff that we don't tell people. I don't share that a lot because people think pastors shouldn't be depressed. Okay. I mean, it, it's, it's got its own difficulties. Or people think Christians shouldn't be depressed. Okay. Tell everybody to stop. I just stop it. Stop feeling depressed. It doesn't work that way. There are people that can face life because of their composition, and it can be horrible, and they're in a base, a, a pretty much a good mood. The way they push through is, I just, I'm not going to let this get me down. And folks like that, bless their hearts, don't understand that not everybody's like that. You know, if, if you could just snap out of it, you would because it's miserable. It's miserable, right? It can affect everything. But Christ is greater. Christ is greater. Right? The well of Christ is deeper than the well of my depression. The well of Christ is deeper than my lack of understanding what God could be doing because God never told me to do that. I don't know the whys. And again, I, I press, think of Job. Why do we think that knowing why would help us feel better? What if it made it worse? That's why this is happening? Now, what if Job would have found out I had to show the devil, I wanted to show the devil that you don't worship me like that. Like, couldn't you just tell him? Like, why? So, I have what I need. I have everything I need because I have Christ. If you took away everything that I have, I would still have all that I need because I have Christ. That's what Paul would have us. That's what strengthens us is this knowledge. So the best thing you can do for your own life and your own sanity is press into Christ to know Him more. Pray and stay in the Word. Pray and stay in the Word. If you say, well, well I, I do that. Beloved, what else is there? Right? What else is there? What else do we want out of life that we're resentful of God for not giving when He has given, is giving us everything that we actually need? He loves you. He's not playing games with you. That's not the way it works. If you could find out my will for your life, maybe the pieces would come together and things would go better. The Bible doesn't talk like that. That's a pagan notion. That's suspicion or, or a superstition. Suspicion is something different entirely. But when we think through the themes of Philippians and how all this practical instruction is meant to deepen and strengthen our unity as the body of Christ, or that's what this letter has been about, so that we could be genuinely committed above all else to the proclamation of the gospel and the salvation of sinners. Are we willing to realize then how much we need each other? I need you to speak these verses to me when I forget what they say. Right? You're the family God has put me with. And I'm the pastor God has put you with. So you need me to speak this to you when you forget these things. And beloved, if we go sideways with one another over things that really don't matter, we aren't going to be there for each other when the bow breaks. And the cradle will rock. Right? This is extremely practical. Right? These, these are Christians that are going to suffer, that are suffering financially, as he writes. We, we need each other. We, in other words... This right here, this is a need provided. 
you, the body of Christ, us all a part of it. That's a need we have that God has provided. We need each other. We need each other. Because that's where, notice, that's the key to evangelism. To, to, to being all about the, the, the faith of the gospel. That's the key. Contentment in Christ alone. Faith. Unity. Right? That comes from it. Where these things are lacking, the church becomes another burden in our lives. Another difficult things in our, in our lives. And it's a need we have that's been provided to us by God. Let us trust Him and use it. There is no true refuge in times of mounting pressures other than the promise of God to strengthen and provide for us. So let us take heart that God keeps His promise to us and that He means to give it to others also. Let us realize that we've been made into one for our sakes and for the world's sake. He loves you. And for the sake of Christ, His Son, and the greatest treasure of all, He will keep His promise to you, beloved. That's the way it is. 